1: with German Doner Kebab, now 40 restaurants across the UK. Find out where at germandonnerkebab.com. Hello, how you doing? Hope your weekend was good. This is Football Social Daily, which right now isn't quite as daily as it used to be, but it is still keeping you up to date with all the latest news, views and gossip. From right around the Premier League. I'm Jim Salverson, and on today's podcast, we've got Steve McNaughton. Hello, Steve. Good morning, you And we've got Niall McCorn as well. Hello, Niall. (laughs) Hello, guys. How are you? So, today we're going to be tackling the return of the top flight. When are we going to start seeing football being played again? It sounds like it might not be quite as early as some of us has hoped. Zlatan Ibrahimovic is hanging up his boots at the end of the season and is eyeing a role in management. Could we see him bossing players about in the Premier League anytime soon? And there's loads of transfer gossip to get through as well, so we'll get the boys' thoughts on that. Plus, I was thinking over the weekend, whatever happened to the football hardman? You don't seem to see football hardmen at all, so I want to know if there are any currently playing and who was the greatest of all football hardmen to ply their trade in the Premier League. We'll get into that very shortly. First, I want to tell you about something that's happening on Fridays. Football Social Daily podcast. Fridays for the time being are going to be the day we deal with your questions. So an AQA type show. If you've got any questions you want to ask the Football Social Daily guys, be it about the current footballing climate or about transfers or suggestions for the league or VAR or who was the best number nine ever, whatever you fancy, get your questions in now. We will deal with them on Friday's podcast. You can get your questions in via Twitter at The Sports Social, or you can search for us on Facebook as well, The Sports Social, search for that. We can't wait to hear from you. So let's get started with today's podcast. And the big question that all football fans want to hear right now, when is the Premier League coming back? First off, it was the start of April. Then it's been moved to the 30th of April officially now. And it seems like it could be a long way off. It's seemed for a while we were going to get football at some point potentially in the next fortnight or so but that just seems like a pipe dream now doesn't it now?
2: the answer is <laughs> i don't know <laughs> to be perfectly honest i don't think anyone knows do they what's going to happen we've been given that initial date of the 3rd of april then it was pushed back to the 30th of april and now we're seeing rumors that it might start again early june Of course, there's still a fair amount of games to fit in. Um, Mm. Liverpool and those teams down in the relegation fight will be more keen than most to start the season as early as possible. Uh, But six weeks from the middle of June, you might just be able to squeeze that in. But of course, the players won't be getting a summer break. I guess this now, technically, would kind of factor in as their break. I mean, players, of course, we talked about the contract thing. You know, most players' contracts being up on the 30th of June. We don't really know what's going to happen there with uh, the transfer window, whether it's going to be extended or not. Will the season restart sooner than we think? I'm not sure. I think mid-June is is an accurate description. If you think about the advice we're getting from the government, particularly those uh, of an elder generation, Um, news came out from the government yesterday that anyone in a vulnerable position should be made to stay at home for around 12 weeks, which is three months. And three months from now does take us to mid to late June, which kind of feels like a more accurate time frame than the 30th of April. However, the Premier League returning with uh, with fans might be a completely different date to the Premier League returning mm-hmm. in general. Obviously, we would all rather that fans are in the ground, particularly when things are at stake. Like, it would be a shame for Liverpool to win the title in front of an empty stadium because the players deserve better than that. But unfortunately circumstances dictate that that might be the case that it might have to be played behind closed doors depending on the scenario sometimes you just have to it's you know taking the rough with the smooth isn't it sometimes you just have to take it on the chin and say right okay well if we don't start playing matches again you know the whole thing could you know fall by the wayside in terms of the structure of our uh, of our football pyramid the financial situation regarding some clubs so you know it's one of those things we'll have to wait and see my honest answer is i don't know when football's going to be back but if mid june is the kind of more accurate estimate i'd be more inclined to believe that
1: i think you're right when you say no one really knows at the moment and this magic figure of 12 weeks which seems like the i mean it's more of a guide to life returning to normal than it is football returning that's kind of the aim at the moment to get it back up and running within 12 weeks and i suppose That's kind of what we're talking about. When we talk about football returning, we're not just talking about football returning. We're talking about the possibility of people being able to get together in one location again, be that just the 22 people on the pitch plus the referees and the TV crews or whatever it is you need around that, or be it 50,000 people in the stadium. But it doesn't seem like it's going to happen anytime soon, does it, Steve?
3: No, and that's the, the the thing is with this whole situation is that we haven't got an end date on it. We're just living through it. You know, it's it's our first pandemic that a lot of us have lived through and hopefully the last one. And I think, you know, football has took a bit of a backseat at the minute. And as football connoisseurs and fans, you know, we, we are missing the game, but... Everyone's safety's got to be paramount, and and I agree with what Niels just said. I think you know we're going to be looking at June, I think at the earliest, um, given the updates that we're getting on a regular basis about the current situation. And I think what I'm as a Liverpool fan, if I put me Liverpool hat on for a second, I'm just glad that the Do you Premier want to take League the Liverpool
1: fan hat off, Steve.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, I don't know, <laughs> but I just think that I'm just encouraged that they uh, are committed to finishing the season. And um, you know, if it's a, a delay on next season, so be it. Uh, I just think that we do need to finish the season. We need to need to get everyone back fit and healthy. And if games are behind closed doors to wrap the season up, I, I would accept that you know just to get the season done because I think everyone's safety, especially after some of the images of the weekend, is paramount here.
1: I mean, six weeks seems to be the minimum, doesn't it? That you need to get the season finished from now. I was looking at the fixtures and I was surprised exactly how many fixtures some teams would need to squeeze in. I think Man City have got either 18 or 19 games that potentially they need to get in between now and the end of the season. So doing that in under six weeks would be a hell of a job.
2: Yeah, definitely. I think it'd be Monday, Wednesday, Saturday, Monday, Wednesday, Saturday. It might even get to that stage. Desperate times call for desperate measures. Mm. Uh, I think Pete Hall summarised it quite nicely on one of our podcasts a few weeks back. He said, you know, extraordinary times call for extraordinary circumstances. And we discussed about our kind of ideal way to restart the season. And it would be to get rid of the cup games next season and maybe not have an FA Cup or a League Cup next season Um, lots of conflicting reports this is what the FA the Premier League the powers that be the people that are in you know at the top table of our game in this country that's what they're paid for Mm. moments like this don't happen very often situations like this that happen very often as Steve said no one's ever really lived through a pandemic not, not, not in my lifetime, and I probably doubt in, in your lifetimes or even anyone older than us entirely. I mean, I've never seen anything like this, and nor will the authorities, the football authorities, would never have seen anything on this scale, at least not in the last 80 to 100 years since World War II finished. So, you know, that's what they're paid the big bucks for. That's what they're the, the top brass for, to make these decisions. Yeah. And it's up to them to make cutthroat decisions. Now, what it might do is it might, you know, annoy a few sponsors it might annoy a few sponsors it might annoy a few investors but if it's for the better health of the game globally and it keeps the game going sometimes you do have to you know cut off your nose to spite your face in, in certain situations this might be one of those situations where you just have to kind of make sacrifices to ensure the game is in a healthier position moving
1: forward what i do hope that happens and i'm not 100% convinced it will but when the premier league had their meeting on thursday last week wasn't it when they all met the suggestion that came out of that meeting was the league were willing to resume on the 30th of April this sort of date they'd arbitrarily picked out of the air as long as the government didn't tell them to do so and what I think the Premier League needs to do is it needs to take a very sensible pragmatic approach to this and not put anyone at risk so it's not necessarily about I mean in a similar situation to we saw bars and restaurants last week going from people being advised to stay away from them to enforce enclosures the government shouldn't need to necessarily take a heavy hand with the premier league and go no you can't play football the premier league should be able to make that decision on their own and do what is best for player safety and public safety
3: absolutely yeah i think they've, that's got to be first and foremost they've got to manage that situation accordingly and i actually i have, have a bit of faith in the premier league to do it um, you know, in the correct fashion, and I think they'll get everything done and dusted. And, you know, I'm quite relieved that the likes of UEFA and, and FIFA are being quite flexible with the international football at this stage. But I just think it's uh, the health and safety is paramount. And I think, you know, we've, we've just got to get everyone back fit and well whenever that is.
1: With that in mind, the comments that have come out this week from Dale Vince, who is the chairman of Forest Green Rovers. No, not that crackpot. Seems... <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what he said. <laughs> I don't know. OK, well, here is what he said. I'll let you know. Um, he's essentially suggested that the Football League jumped the gun massively by suspending matches in mid-March, in his words, when the virus had barely impacted the country. His view is that when we first saw games begin to be cancelled on March 13th or 15th, wasn't it? Something along those lines, when we first saw the first delays and the first postponements, he thinks that the league should have doubled down at that stage and basically played as many games as possible in a short space of time and got as close to finishing the league as it possibly could how would you react to uh, Mr Vince's comments in that scenario?
2: I'd react by saying he's an absolute fool he's a man who's trying to build a stadium out of compost you know, he's he's he's, he's, he's just uh, a fair play to him because Forest Green are you know a unique football club. They're the only fully vegan football club in the world. They've got their eyes set on a new stadium. Vince,
1: of course, I like is, what they've done at Forest Green. I think that I think you, it's very it's easy to be critical and be a bit snide about what they've done e, at Forest Green in terms of the eco credentials. Yeah, but I, I like the project.
2: I get that, and he is the owner of Ecotricity, and he does help generate clean electricity and, and clean energy, which is obviously of paramount importance as well aside from this pandemic of course that the health of the planet is is a big topic on people's lips right now um, also, the players are all vegan at Forest Green as well. Uh, they'll be devastated that McDonald's have decided to close all their stores in uh, the UK and Ireland. because I've heard, that they, I've heard that they like to sneak off for a cheeseburger from time to time. But honestly, they get <laughs> fined if they get caught eating non-vegan food. So it is a lifestyle change when you go and sign for Forest Green. I'm always wary of what Dale Vince says because he has quite a strong affiliation with one of the uh, leading governmental parties in the United Kingdom. I won't name who, but certainly... It's almost propaganda-esque, some of the things he says. Yeah. However, I can't agree or get on board with what he said here. Um, I think better safe than sorry. I mean, Dale Vince, how would he feel if, by all means, Forest Green aren't a well-supported football club? I mean, they've got a loyal fan base, as does every football club, but in terms of their attendances, they'll be one of the lower uh, attended sides for home games in League Two. You know, They're, they're from Nailsworth, which is a village in Gloucestershire. Their ground is currently built into the side of a hill. I've been there. It's a lovely little village, but it's not, sus, you know, it's not a place where you'd expect there to be a football league side, which is partly the beauty of our English system. But also you have to kind of think, well, is he really protecting what is in the best interest of his football club? Maybe right. he is of symbolic because of the I get I get what he's saying in terms of, you know, we want the games to have gone on for as long as possible because gate receipts, much like, I mean, if you, if you for instance, to take a contrast, look at Andy Holt of Accrington Stanley, he's the owner of Accrington Stanley, and look at Dale Vince. The difference there is Andy Holt is saying, right, it's going to lose me money, but I would rather lose money at this situation and have supporters come back to my stadium when things are safe and better again, rather than risk the lives of some supporters by putting them in danger unnecessarily, because if a large demographic of your supporter group is of a certain age, you're not going to get those supporters back if something terrible happens to them. So I can't get on board with what Dale Vince has said here. I think the British government, I think the Premier League, the EFL have done the right thing by suspending football until it is safe to get it restarted again. And I think if you look at the contra- the comparison between what Dale Vince has said and the standpoint that Andy Holt at Accrington, for example, has taken, I think that you'll see a stark contrast there.
1: I guess it's symbolic of the different levels of understanding and appreciation that everyone has in terms of how serious the pandemic is and how serious the coronavirus is. Some people are taking it a lot more seriously than others. And Dale Vince is probably on the latter end of the scale, given his comments that he's made about this. Uh, Let's move on and let's talk about some news away from the Premier League about the career of Zlatan Ibrahimović, who seems to be about ready to call time on his career in Milan at the end of the season. Apparently... He wants to focus on management. Is Ibrahimovic a man you can see being a successful football manager? Has he got the characteristics that are needed? And if so, wouldn't it be amazing to see him in the Premier League?
3: Uh, I'm going to separate this question into parts do I think that (laughs) (laughs) do I think that Ibrahimovic would be a good manager no Um, would I like to see him back in the Premier League as a boss for sh** and giggles yes Um, hang on
1: let's deal with the first one because why wouldn't he be a good manager he's won everything there is to win he's known to work incredibly hard everything he does he's worked with and fallen out with some of the greatest football managers in the world (laughs) why wouldn't he be a great
3: football manager because I'll I'll tell you my my thinking behind it, and it's only my opinion, and I'll probably get shot down for it. Like, but the guy I think isn't humble enough. I don't think that if you had a player who was struggling for confidence or had a, a, a run of bad injuries, I don't think he's the guy to put an arm round a player and and motivate them to get them. You know, at their best, or to to develop a few levels, I just don't see that in Zlatan. I love him as a character. I Thought he was he was great in the Premier League. I love seeing his interviews, and especially the I mean, even the one he put out last week saying that if Zlatan doesn't get the virus, you know, he'll go <laughs> to the virus or something like that. And I just think that from a mindset point of view, if you if you put him with someone like say Pep Guardiola, for example, it's like night and day. I just don't think it's in his makeup to be a, be a club manager. Um, and do what's required to get the best out of young players and, and players that might be low on confidence.
1: I suppose that for me would potentially be a sticking point and I would love to see him in the Premier League doing press conferences. I think it would be one of the best things ever but there's a certain amount of... Even if you're not in the role, you don't need humility, but certainly as you're working your way up through the ranks, you need humility to be a number two to a manager where you can ply your trade. And maybe Ibrahimovic doesn't have that quality, Niall.
2: Maybe not, and I don't know what his coaching credentials are. Has he done his UA for B license? You know, <laughs> has he kind of been learning the badges and, and learning how to coach? I mean, experience wise in the game, as you say, he's pretty much won everything. He's played in nearly every country, he's played in Sweden, France, England, Spain, uh, Italy. So, you know, he's played everywhere, United States. So, he's definitely got the credentials. However, I think Steve's got a point. I just I said this about Paul Scholes when he became the older manager last year. I just can't (laughs) see him as a football manager. And sometimes that's not really a a valid reason to kind of doubt someone's ability of being a a decent boss. But I just I just can't visualize Mm. it. And often I think that are the best footballers the best managers. You know, I think about English footballers. You think about the likes of, of, you know, Kevin Keegan, for example. Amazing footballer. I don't think he was a particularly good manager. Um, I still think Zinedine Zidane, I'm still staggered, he won three Champions Leagues. I I don't want to doubt his credentials now because he's been there and done it. He's won three Champions Leagues on the spin. But when he took charge of Real Madrid, I thought, is this just a romantic signing, bringing Zidane back, one of the best Real Madrid players of the last Mm. 20 years, to become the manager? Obviously, he's, he's done successful things. But I mean, you look at the likes of Thierry Henry at Monaco, absolute flop. You know, we're seeing Frank Lampard at Chelsea. We still don't know yet too much about how he's going to get on, but he's doing okay so far. I just somehow feel the best players don't become managers. Maybe there'll be someone out there listening who can correct me on Twitter at the sports social. Let us know because I'm sure I'm missing out. uh, I'm doing injustice to a few people. Um, but I think... I've got one guy, Niall. OK, let me just go went Maradona. Terrible manager. Absolutely shocking <laughs> manager. Um, Brazilian Ronaldo, probably one of my favourite players growing up. I don't think he ever became a manager. Same with Ronaldinho. A lot of these maverick players, these mercurial players, never become managers. It's the mm. same reason I can't see Messi or uh, Ronaldo, Cristiano, ever becoming a manager.
1: I wonder if it's something to do with the expectations that those players have on the players they're managing. Like, if you are one of the world's great players... And you'd expect people to be able to do exactly what you want them to do. Whereas if they're not quite at your level, it becomes a frustrating experience, which is probably why you see a lot of Premier League Mm. ex-players going into management and not managing in the lower leagues, because they don't really understand players at that level.
2: That's what Glenn Hoddle
1: was so frustrated
2: with, wasn't it? When he was the England boss, he couldn't understand why the players that he had under his stewardship couldn't do the same things that he used to be able to do. It's just one of those things. I'm intrigued to hear Steve's uh, example here.
3: Well, for a successful player who's gone on to become a great manager. Yeah, world-class player, yeah. Sir Kenny Dalglish.
2: Oh, one title with Blackburn. Fair play. Yeah, OK.
3: And the Leagues with Liverpool, the FA Cup's with Liverpool, the League Cup's with Liverpool. I mean, don't forget, it was in the area where we were banned out of Europe, wasn't we? So, I think it's, I think awesome. it, he's... it's a different game now. That's well, still a round ball <laughs> still 11 players <laughs> on the pitch <laughs>
1: uh, well we'll have to wait and see what happens with Zlatan Ibrahimovic I don't know he did start his coaching badges when he was at Manchester United because he, I remember the, a news story about him stopping doing his coaching badges when he hurt his ACL and putting them on hold. So whether we actually pick them up again or not, I don't know. We're going to come back in a minute. We're going to talk more about some of the transfer rumours that are doing the rounds on the back pages of the papers. And there's some interesting transfers, particularly where Manchester City are concerned. And we're going to talk football hardman. Are there still any in the game? And who was the greatest of all time? We'll do that next on Football Social Daily. <laughs> Football Social Daily with German Donner Kebab. Find your nearest GDK restaurants at Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast
3: now so you never miss an episode.
1: Welcome back to Football Social Daily. Let's kick off with a little bit of transfer news in this half of the podcast. And um, we're going to start with Manchester City's Amir Laporte who could be off to Barcelona. This is being reported by Mundo Deportivo. So they're Spanish reports. So I warn you, I've used Google Translate to find out exactly what's going on here, which shows I've just got a little bit too much time on my hands at the moment. Uh, But essentially, Barcelona are trying to take advantage of City's FFP punishment. I'm not sure in what way they're trying to take advantage of that. I assume either the assumption that Laporte would want to play in the Champions League or potentially City wanting to reduce their wage bill. One of those two ways, but I couldn't quite work out what they were talking about in that scenario but Barca want to tempt him away from Manchester City which I guess is a massive compliment to Laporte that Barca do want him Nile,
2: Yeah definitely for me this triggers one of those transfer domino effects where I think Barcelona are keen to offload Samuel Mtiti actually this uh, upcoming transfer window. There's been interest from Manchester United. There's been interest from Arsenal. I mean, untiti has been linked with Arsenal for the last two to three transfer windows. Mm. Um, and of course, Barcelona very much They move one in, one out. That's kind of how they work. That's their model. At least it has been over the last few years. One big player leaves, one big player comes in, or they'll promote someone from the academy who they think is good enough to do the job. Samuel Mttiti is a decent player um, and possibly I'mric Laporte could come in to fill his role. Mtiti's 26, I'mric Laporte is probably uh, around a similar age. I'm not 100%, but certainly he is good enough to play for Barcelona. I mean, if you look at the way that Manchester City... Uh, appear more vulnerable when Laporte's not in the team Mm. it's quite astounding really to to think that he's had that much of an impact it's a shame about his knee injuries it's a shame that he's been plagued with injury over the last 12 to 13 months I think that Barcelona will have that in mind I think ACL injuries are not to be taken lightly I think that they are serious injuries for me they're worse than breaking a leg I think I would rather break my leg than do my ACL Um, I really do. I think that they're hard to come back from and they need to be managed properly. If you come back too quickly, like we've seen in the past with other players, you can do it again quite easily. Uh, And it's a high intensity game. It's a high intensity league. So, you know, coming back too quickly from an ACL injury can punish you physically. I think this is a move that makes sense, whether... Manchester City would be prepared to sell to Barcelona as one of those clubs that supposedly are kind of in with UEFA in terms of this whole FFP scenario and whatnot. It remains to be seen. There's a bit of inner politics going on at Barcelona as well with Bartomeu, who's currently the president of Barcelona, and there's been lots of Uh, Rumors and speculation over the fact that he's kind of employed a media company to to smear some of the players and personalities around Barcelona that have spoken up against him. So it is a little bit um, of muddied waters. However, I don't think this is uh, one that's completely off the cards. Certainly I can see if Laporte does go to Barca and Titi coming the other way. That was my first thought when I
1: heard about this. You'd think that City would be absolutely desperate to hang on to Laporte though, wouldn't you? At the moment, they need one centre-back in the summer. If they get rid of Laporte, they need two.
3: Mm, yeah, they, they, they'll be desperate to keep hold of him. And I think, you know, he, the, the big elephant in the room, if you like, is the potential ban, isn't it? You know, because obviously the, the case for the Court of Arbitration for Sports being put back in the current situation, so that's not going to be resolved. So that's going to kind of, you know, come into play with it. But I've I got to be honest, I don't know why. Let's say Man City aren't banned for the next couple of seasons, and that quite rightly or wrongly, whatever you believe, um, Beaten the charge that's being levied against them. Uh, wh- why would you leave Man City for Barcelona? I'm I'm not sure at this moment in time. You know, strongest league in the world, one of the best team, well, one of the best two teams in the world, I think, at this current moment in time. You know, he's the rock of that defense. He's winning stuff, and mm-hmm. you know, Man City are knocking on the door of winning the Champions League sometime in the very near future, I believe. And you know, Barcelona is a club that. You know it's going to be interesting what happens with them. Certainly with their wage bill and the situation with the current pandemic. And I think you know I seen on one of the gossip columns that the players are going to have to be take a wage cut. Um, you know, to comply with financial fair play. Again, it was in the gossip column this morning. So take it with a pinch of salt. But there's all that stuff going on at Barcelona. And you just think if you, you know, at Laporte, you know, do you want to kind of really be a part of all that at this point when you're at a team which I think are better than Barcelona at the minute.
1: One of the players that could be coming into Manchester City, reported by Calcio Mercato in Italia, is Inter Milan's Milan. Now, this is a player I'm not massively familiar with, so I'm going to have a stab at the name with my usual fluency for other players' <laughs> names for language, other players from different countries' names, Milan Scriniar. Is that right, Niall? I don't know a load about this player. I've read he's not had the greatest season in Italy. So it's interesting that he's being linked with Manchester City for around 80 million euros is the number being quoted.
2: Well, you got it right. You got it bang on. Milan Skriniar is how you say it. Correct, Jim. Well done. 10 points to Jim. Uh, yeah, I think I can, I can see why Manchester City are interested in Skriniar. And the reason I can is because he's an excellent passer of the ball. He's very, very good with the ball at his feet, which is obviously what Manchester City like to do. We know the Pep Guardiola style playing out from the back um, and he needs someone who can come in and if Laporte is to leave, for example, and... They need a replacement for him. Skriniar can come in and fit the bill and he can be confident on the ball. Um, He likes to play short passes. He's not shy in the tackle as well. He kind of uh, likes to link up with fullbacks as well. He's he's 25, so it's certainly plenty of time for him to kind of get even better. Over the next five years, between 25 and 30, that's when a defender's kind of in their prime, in my opinion, maybe even a little bit older. You can get away with it. You look at the likes of John Terry, for example, who was decent up until his mid-30s. So... Mm. Yeah, you can definitely get away with that. So uh, I think that this is an interesting one. Like you say, Jim, he's not had the best um, year in Serie A. Inter Milan were neck and neck with Juventus at the top of the Italian league for a long time. Then Lazio have come in. Inter Milan got a couple of terrible results and things have kind of slipped away from them. Uh, losing to Lazio and Juventus in their last two games before this um, before this pandemic suspended Serie A. So uh, I think that He's been pretty much at the heart of of Inter's defence, so they've not had a bad season. I don't think he's had a standout season. Um, I do know here that just reading some of the notes on him, he is weak in in, in the air. He's not great at aerial duels, just despite the fact he's six foot two. So there's a few uh, things that maybe he can improve on, but certainly the basics of what you'd kind of have as a blueprint, a skeleton of a Manchester City defender. He's got age on his side. He's an international player. He's got uh, he's comfortable with the ball at his feet. He can pick a pass. He's strong in the challenge. They're all things that you think would suit Manchester City in terms of their style of play. So Skriniar, uh he's had this season perhaps not quite as good, but the last two seasons he's impressed really in Serie. A. So I wouldn't be surprised to see if Laporte does leave Manchester City make a move for him.
1: Although 80 million quid or 80 million euros is outside that key Manchester City price point of 50 million, which seems to be their preferred fee to spend on anyone. Final bit of gossip that we're going to touch on is another defender who's been linked with the Premier League for a long, long time now, Kalidou Koulibaly, who is potentially coming from Napoli to join Manchester United. I'm not sure this one feels like it's got many or much legs in it. We know Manchester United want a centre-back to play alongside Harry Maguire, but he's the wrong side of 25 and it doesn't really seem to fit the Manchester United blueprint for what they're trying to achieve at the moment.
3: Yeah, I think you're he, quite right when you say that. He's, you know, if, if memory serves me correctly, Koulibaly's 28, I think. Um, you know, So there's not a lot of mileage in, in a deal for, for that level of cash, I think. You know, someone mentioned to me the other day, like he's, he's available for a bargain fee of um, somewhere in the region of 70 80 million quid, and uh, it seems like a lot of money for him, um, even though he, he is very good. Because I'm not sure how long he'd get out of the player, but you know, Man United do need a, another top centre half, you know, to, to play alongside Harry Maguire, and the thing that will probably bring Maguire on a level or two because i think he has made that defence more solid and there has been improvements in his game and i think if he had a decent partner next to him it did be really solid at the back whether it's Koulibaly uh, i'm not sure i think you know if it was me i'd probably be looking at the, the lad from leipzig you know instead mm-hmm. if he had money to buy center mm-hmm. half at this point um but i can see why there's an obvious link there with the two and um, i'm not convinced on that one
2: Just a quick one, though, about Manchester United centre-backs. Why is everyone kind of overlooking Eric Bailly now? He came back from injury and pretty much put in a man-of-the-match performance on his first game back for United in the Premier League. So I'm just wondering what everyone thinks about him, because he was pinpointed as the man, though, wasn't he, to kind of be that calm defender at the back, the one that plays out from the back, the first one of that type, which Jose Mourinho brought in. Um, And now we've got Maguire uh, and Lindelof's kind of, improved on that aspect of the game. Bailly isn't a bad defender by any stretch, so I just wonder why everyone's kind of saying, well, Maguire needs a better partner.
1: When he first came into Manchester United, Bailly looked quality, didn't he? He really did a job, but then he, he kind of lacked a little bit of consistency. He had a few mistakes in his game, but you're right. I mean, just looking at these stories we've talked about, we've talked about three big stories for three big money defenders. It seems like there's a little bit of a shortage for Premier League quality centre-backs like those world-class centre-backs at the moment everyone seems to be scrapping over the same three or four names so yeah maybe you're right maybe it's time to take a chance on a player like Bai, who is already at the club
3: yeah I think so I think but we're in a situation where you know teams need to have four really good centre-halves you know in the squad because you know these the, the frequency which these players are playing games you know they are picking up injuries quite regularly, like I've said, I don't think the protections there in the feet, which I've said in the past as well. And I think that you do need to have options kicking around. And I think that which makes it seem like a bit of a non-starter for me, because if it's someone who's going to be rotated in, if you've got a fit by, if if Lindelof's doing okay um next to McGuire, you think eighty million quid for someone to rotate is is probably beyond the realms of possibility, isn't it? Um, but I just think that you're right, there is a, there is a shortage of real quality centre-half's knocking about. But I think if you're a big club, everyone's after the same thing, aren't they? Everyone Mm -hmm. wants to emulate what, what... Um, mm. uh, you know, Man City have uh, done in more recent times and, and, and what Liverpool have done the last uh, couple of seasons and it's competing for the big honours and it's been there in finals and it's having the days out at th- these big stadiums and, and getting the headlines and the commercial trappings that come with that so there, there is a bit of an arms race on in that respect that people do want to have the best squads possible and um, get to the positions that certainly in our country that, that Man City and Liverpool have got themselves into so it'll be, a, I, mean, I know a good quality Premier League centre half that's available this summer. I could give him a glowing reference, and um, I think he'd be a, a, a great addition for for any squad. <laughs> and he's available for around 20 million quid, I, I'm told. So I think Arsenal will probably come in with a 35 million bid. And um, you know, and that man, uh, and it dovetails nicely with with the next section, Jim is Dan Get him to Forest Green. <laughs> He's not gonna. He's not gonna have no vegan lifestyle, mate. <laughs> he's actually hunt, hunter, gatherer He's going out, catching his food and eating it.
1: Well, let's dovetail into the next section because we're gonna talk football hardman. It was something I was considering over the weekend. What has happened to the midfield enforcer, the football hardman that we saw in the early days of the Premier League, but seems to be a little bit of a thing of the past? I was kind of racking my brains trying to think if there was such a thing as a football hardman uh, anymore and I came up with a bit of a blank so I wanted to get your thoughts as to whether you could think of the plug closest I came I'll start off because the closest I came to someone who I'd potentially categorize in this area was Troy Deeney. I you just wouldn't mess with Troy Deeney and I, he's not necessarily nasty on the pitch which is kind of the traditional characteristic you'd associate with the football hardman but at the same time He's nails. He gives a little bit and he's not the kind of bloke you'd want to square up to. So I'm wondering if there is anyone else in the current game who kind of fits into that category. I've got to be honest. I think you're right. I
2: think they are a dying breed. Troy Deeney's a a good example, but he kind of came through with Walsall and Watford up through the, the EFL and up into the Premier League. And he's kind of been there ever since. I guess the Premier League nowadays is different to even 10 years ago is different. To, to five years before that. It's almost unrecognisable. Actually, it's interesting I mentioned that because in my uh, infinite boredom this weekend, I've been watching a few highlights from the Premier League of 10 years ago, the 2009-2010 season, just out of curiosity to see how much the game has changed in that decade. And it is almost unrecognisable. I mean, you've, I'm pretty sure there were more hard men back in the day 10 years ago um, I watched a I watched a game where you got you know players like Michael Brown and um, Dawson at the back for Spurs. He wasn't the hardest, but he he wasn't the one to mess with. Palacios, he was a bit of a beast. Bassong. There was a few players knocking around who were tough, big tough boys. Um, Booba Diop, some big boys in the league back then. We don't really see big beastie players in the league uh, now. I think um, for me, Sayad Kalasanats is one of the hardest players in the in the football in the. English Premier League for me, the Arsenal guy. When someone tries to rob your car with a knife and you chase them around the <laughs> other side of the car yeah, yeah. and scare them
1: off, then you are absolutely tough as nails. So for me,
2: Kolasinac is one.
1: Well, the kind of people that would traditionally play in that role, because it tended to be centre-backs or your defensive midfield types. That would be where your football hardman like your Vinnie Joneses, etc. Your Roy Keynes would kind of play. You look at the modern game, the people that play those positions now... Declan Rice and Kante and Jordan Henderson they're they're just very as you say they're not big lumps anymore they're very different types of footballers
3: yeah definitely and I think it's quite interesting when you think about it because you know Man City are are known not to drill tackling in training and you know they have the lowest percentage of of tacklings you know uh, out of some of the teams in the league so I think. You know, as the game evolves and it kind of moves on, you know, and coaches want to keep the game moving and keep it fast and and Whatnot, you know, it is a disappearing art, and the Hardman is someone that, in an age of VAR and and obviously the spotlight that's on plays, and the fact that we have so many kind of high tech replays, is there's not an element of I can just give him early doors and get you know and, and wind him up a little bit. This the, the striker who scored a lot of goals, mm. because you know you walk in a tightrope for 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 a red card pretty much from from the second we kick off, and I think that has had an impact on it. But in terms of Hardman, I mean, you know. Like I say, you are struggling. I think, you know, obviously the Arsenal lads uh, who now mentioned I'd add Granite Jacquard into that because I think he's a bit of a, a wild card. Um, you know, and then I, I just think, you know, from I'm struggling to think then, you know, uh, of of other players then really that can fit into that proper hard man mould.
1: I've come up with a couple that I think uh, potentially the kind of icons in this area. Yap Stam who just, I think partly because of the way he looks, just looked absolutely terrifying. He just never backed down for anything. But my football hardman has got to be Stuart Pearce, because I don't think you get a name like Psycho without being a psycho. And I do remember watching him play for West Ham, and this has got to be the sign of the ultimate hardman. He was playing for West Ham against Watford. He broke his leg in the first half and tried to run it off. So he... He played the entire first half of the game with a broken leg half time went off, apparently got into the changing rooms and tried to get his boot back on and said, "I'll give it a go for the second half gaffer so I think that the fact he was playing with a broken leg that's got to be a pretty hard man there in terms of football and then he broke it again versus Southampton and refused to be stretched off, insisted on walking off the pitch. So that would be my nomination.
3: I've got nothing of, of that level uh, of Stuart Pearce and, uh, and co. But I think in current players, I think Mamadou Saku uh, of Crystal Palace is a bit of a, um, uh, a one to mention. Um, a bit L loco, should we say. And um, you know he's a guy looking at some of the tackles that he's put to him and the way he conducts himself on the pitch. You could probably add into a, a list of today's players.
2: If Alfredo Morelos mm. from Rangers becomes a Premier League player in the next couple of seasons. Oof, yeah, Wait till you have a look at him. He is absolutely mental, but uh, entertaining as you'd like watching him. So if he does end up in the Premier League in the next couple of seasons, then watch out because they call him El Buffalo. Um, (laughs) But I tell you what, he's a bit of a madman.
1: Right, get your suggestions in. If you've got any football hardmen to add to our little list, then at the sports social on Twitter is where you can get us. It's also where you can put in your questions for Friday's AQA Podcast will rattle through as many of your queries and ideas and questions and thoughts as possible at the Sports Social on Twitter or search the Sports Social on Facebook and you can find it there. Nile, Steve, thank you very much, boys. Cheers, Cheers, guys. Make sure you click subscribe to this podcast and we'll see you next time for Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily with German Doner Kebab. Now 40 restaurants across the UK. Find out where at German Kebab.com.